welcome to High Energy Health, where together we explore the leading edge of wellness and happiness. I'm your host, Dawson Church. By choosing this time together, you're declaring your commitment to a positive mindset, elevated emotions, and a great life. Thanks for joining me for today's episode. Hello and welcome to High Energy Health. I just flat love doing this show every week because I get to talk to some of the most inspiring and productive people on the planet. And whether they're in research, whether they're in clinical practice, whether they are theorists, whether they are biologists, whether they are in medicine or psychology, they have ideas and they have insights that can really make a difference. I also, as you know, encourage you each week to apply these things to your life. Come to High Energy Health each week with your journal, with a notebook. Take some notes, have your device handy, and then see what you can apply in your own life. There are so many ways we can apply these insights in our lives, and I want you to be inspired, but I want you to be inspired to apply these ideas and these techniques in a practical way to improve your life. There are so many ways we can upgrade our lives, and many people are using only a fraction of those. It's just remarkable to me when I meet people, either they're on Zoom calls or in person at workshops that I'm teaching, and I see people suffering, and they're suffering in entirely preventable ways. And there are unpreventable suffering events that that happen. I mean, if, if you're in the middle of a extreme weather, if you are affected by species extinction, global warming, racial income inequality, there are lots of real problems in our world. And also, there are so many problems that we can escape. I mean, don't have to live with. A lot of the forms of suffering we have are installed early in life. I've talked on earlier shows about how we how the brain models from the top, the outside layers, down to the bottom layers. And by the time we're three, four, five, certainly seven, eight, nine, and definitely 17 and 18, we have so much conditioned behavior, which we never examine after that. So examine your beliefs, examine your core ideas, examine why you do the things you do. And you can often find much more productive, much more adaptive, much more helpful ways of structuring your life. It's just a matter of wanting to. Now, when you are 20, when I was 20, I didn't care about any of this. You're basically bulletproof and indestructible. And when you're 30, you're fairly bulletproof and fairly indestructible. When you're 40, the cracks start to show. When you're 50, the cracks are definitely showing. When you're 60, the degree to which you paid attention to all of this really shows up. Like that study I quote often in my books of the giant British Medical Journal review of 68,000 people, and it found that those with a positive outlook on life, who had an optimistic explanatory frame for what went on around them, had a 10-year life differential. They lived 10 years longer than pessimists. Hey, if you're a pessimist, that thought should make you really gloomy. You're robbing yourself of 10 productive and healthy years. So don't be one. Just work on your emotions, release that trauma. In my books, I have all these techniques. I have about 30 techniques in Mind to Matter. And in my books on EFT tapping, I focus on tapping and on the over 125 clinical trials showing it just nails anxiety, depression, PTSD, pain, and many other forms of stress. Meditate every day. Start the day 
with meditation. It can make a powerful difference in your life. In my newest clinical trial published in Innovations in Clinical Neuroscience, one of the top neuroscience journals in the world, we show that a month of doing eco-meditation actually changes the fundamental structure of your brain. Two parts in particular, two regions. One is the mid-prefrontal cortex that quietens down, and that is the source of rumination on the future and the past, and worry and stress and a lot of suffering. That part of the brain just dials down when you do eco-meditation for a month. The part of the brain that lights up big time is the insula, and the insula handles all these pro-social emotions like gratitude and joy and compassion. The, the more recent research we're doing is showing that while we call it compassion, because we borrowed that term from Buddhism, actually we're now starting to think of it as a single positive meta-emotion, a single positive meta-emotion. So we've labeled it compassion because that word came from Buddhism. But actually that part of the brain has neurons, special neurons in them that handle all kinds of pro-social emotions. And to the person who's incredibly happy, it doesn't really matter whether you call it gratitude or awe or joy or compassion or altruism. They are just feeling absolutely wonderful. And meditation can put you there. And I have the brain scans to prove it. Meditate every day. Tap when you are distressed. Use all the wonderful alternative complementary techniques there are out there. There's so many of them available, and it can take just a little change to produce a big shift in your physiology and in your well-being. So use all of these amazing techniques we have. Grounding. The other day, I couldn't go for my weekly walk on the beach because it just the weather is super cold over here where I'm staying right now in California. But I went out to the nearest park. I took, my, took off my shoes and socks and walked around there barefoot. People stared at me. <laughs> People thought I was a little bit weird. And I go tell you, I am not a little bit weird. I'm a lot weird. I'm the weird guy who, when he flies to Europe to give a workshop, takes his shoes and socks off in, in the nearest patch of grass at the airport and walks around there to ground himself and to recalibrate my energetic system to the, the electromagnetic grid of the Earth in that location. And guess what? I don't get jet lag. So you can deal with jet lag, all kinds of things, headaches, insomnia. We have an insomnia course on our website, and it's been taken now by about 10,000 people. Read the reviews there, and it's remarkable how much they, they change in just a few short sessions, 10, 10-minute 10 sessions, giving them the science, letting them use these techniques. So I want you to make high-energy health a part of your week, and then I want you to take notes and apply all these amazing tools because they really can make a difference. Will you ever need a pill? Will you ever need allopathic medicine? I love allopathic medicine. I love my doctor. His name is Dr. Strange. Real, for real. I, I have a real guy called Dr. Strange, who's my, my, my primary doctor, and he's just the most compassionate, warm-hearted person imaginable and a brilliant diagnostician. Do I need him sometimes? Absolutely. Do I need a prescription sometimes? Definitely. But there are so many things you can do to improve the quality of your life. So please check them out. The resources are there. A lot of them are on the show and also the links from the show to the websites, to the resources that we can explore them further. Don't accept your limitations. Don't buy into a tiny picture of your potential. Don't live in that little contracted place where you think you have to stay. You are a magnificent being. And when you tune into the universe, when you meditate and connect with something larger than yourself, when you're living that inspired life, when you're just spouting poetry like Rumi, or you're having elevated experiences like St. Teresa of Avila, any of these great figures, 
then you are filling your life with the richness, the wisdom, the inspiration that comes from that state. That is who you really are. And when you tell me the little about the limited little limited you that has all these problems, I, I empathize. I really do. And I know that's only a very small part of the picture. So do take care of yourself. Make the show part of your weekly mental and consciousness and focus hygiene where you clean your brain by dipping yourself in positive media. Make high energy health something you do for yourself to respect yourself and love yourself and then fill your life with positive people, with positive media, with positive inputs. I know a friend right now who just got a, had a terminal diagnosis. I actually had two friends die in the last week and the third one got a terminal diagnosis. And so I'm thinking the two that died had very, very rich, full, wonderful lives, living far beyond their potential. So is the one who got a terminal diagnosis. And I'm just going to share with her all of the things that I would do if I had a terminal diagnosis and then how you can even in that terminal state nudge gene expression in a positive direction. So there's a lot you can do, whether you're at the start of your life, at that early stage, 15, 20, 30, whether you're at the end of your life, 75, 85, 95, maybe even 105. There's a lot you can do. And so bathe yourself in positive messages like this show and then make that part of your routine to just focus on yourself, love yourself enough to make your highest potential your highest priority. <laughs> That's a good phrase. I think I'll use it again. Make your highest potential your highest priority. <laughs> You're going to so enjoy my guest today. His name is Michael Shea. His website is SheaHeart.com. He's an expert in the fields of somatic psychology and cranial sacral therapy. In fact, he was one of the very first graduates of the Upledger Institute, which teaches craniosacral therapy. He has a doctorate in somatic psychology from the Union Institute. He also leads seminars in the US, Canada, and Europe. He is a formal student of the Dalai Lama and past apprentice of a medicine man on a Navajo reservation in Arizona. He's the author of a series of books on biodynamic craniosacral therapy, and you will so enjoy his focus on both the mechanics of healing and the energetics of healing. Michael, wonderful to have you on the show. Oh, Dawson, thank you so much. And I just love your introduction. I love your enthusiasm, <laughs> and I'm, I'm completely 100% on board because that's exactly the way I, I think. And my wife has this Optimist Coffee Cup because we read the Optimist magazine. We're optimists, and I think that's the way we need to be. So Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I already got that reading your website. I already got your website and reading about your work. You stressed heart-to-heart connection, and you talked about the energy field research showing that when we're 15 feet away from each other, our energy fields are beginning to interact actually 30 feet away from each other, 15 feet each. And so that energetic connection, and then also the mechanics of posture, body alignment, and our structures. So I, I just thoroughly enjoyed all the insights I, I found there. Thank you so much for your work. Well, thank you so much. And you know, what's interesting is it's just yesterday, my new book that's coming out January 10th, I just got my first, very first reviewed copy. It's right here and and it's heavy, but it's wonderful. And I'm, I'm really enjoying the process of teaching about the heart and, and how we can fix our heart. And the, the one thing that's really interesting to me, just to mention, because you were talking about research, there's some research that came out recently. 93% of Americans have an unhealthy heart, a metabolically wow. unhealthy heart. Now, this research just came out, and in the book that I wrote talks about metabolic health in general because 
the other research that came out at the University of North Carolina in 1918, 88% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. So we're looking at type 2 diabetes, we're looking at cancer, we're looking at dementia, we're looking at obesity. And personally, I suffered from obesity for many years when I got out of the military as a result of the PTSD that I experienced as a Vietnam vet. So my focus, you know, with healing is how do we help people undo, unravel what's happening? How did 93% of Americans get an unhealthy heart? You know, it's it's just fascinating to me. So I I do a lot of teaching around the heart specifically. And, and because of, you know, the spiritual connection I have with the Dalai Lama, having been connected with him for many years. And as I, I mentioned earlier, when we first were talking, it's his impression is he wants his students to start centers for the study of the human heart. And that's why I called my website Shea Heart. And I'm also an academic embryologist. And so I teach in the doctor or used to teach in the doctoral programs. I'm semi-retired from that level of academia right now. And to me, the study of the human heart is absolutely fascinating because even if you study the embryology and you study all the impacts that, that we know about, you know, from grieving and from what happens in childhood with trauma and so forth, we can still have a transcendent connection to the heart because it's always there. As you know, I know that's part of the messaging here. So thank you. Of course, that's the physical human heart. And there's also the energetics of the heart. And then the heart as that connector with our spiritual life. So it's a metaphor in that sense. And it's something very real that we have in our, our bodies. And the way our bodies are linked to energy, to our spirituality, to uh, consciousness is is so interesting and powerful to me. And, and clearly, you've been aware of these links for a very long time. I'm just curious, before we go any further, you mentioned you're a formal student of the Dalai Lama. How do you become a, become a formal student of the Dalai Lama? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it's I'll, I'll try to abbreviate the, the story here, but you know, my mother died in 2004, and after I got out of Naropa and came back home because I, my father had passed, and I I dedicated my life to being my mother's healthcare surrogate because she was on a respirator for the last 10 years of her life. And when she died, I went into a depression, and then a friend called and said, you know, the Dalai Lama's coming to Miami, and, I, and he's never been to, to Florida before. And I said, oh, let's go. But, I, you know, I was drinking. I'm Irish, and I was, you know, drinking way too much. So I'm sitting there in a basketball stadium, and I felt a presence in my state of mind. And in, in Buddhism, they call it mind transmission. And I felt this very gentle presence begin to connect with me in my mind and a, having a conversation with me. And it was, as a result of that, I called the coordinators after the program. I said, I was having these experiences as if he was talking to me in my head. And they said, oh, yes, then, oh, then you want to get connected with him because he's connecting with you at that, at that level of, of a deep spiritual connection. And so I then went to Zurich the next year where there's a lot of Tibetan refugees. So the Dalai Lama goes to Zurich a lot. And in 2005, I took the ceremony of Chen Rezi, the Bodhisattva of Compassion. And that's the formal ceremony where you attend and you become his student. And then he gives you a job to do. And so my job was to hook up and become a Buddhist scholar. So I began doing scholarship for a Buddhist scholar for many years and then did another formal ceremony with him 
and became interested in the study of the human heart and really propagating his work through the study of the heart. So that's the formal student. Have I met him personally? No. Have I been around him a lot? Yes, I've been around him. Do I still have mind transmission from him as it's described in Tibetan Buddhist literature? Yes, I do. And it's wonderful. And it keeps me focused on the heart and it keeps me focused on the spiritual heart. And that's that's the key message here, I think, uh, for all of us is how to connect and repair our physical heart. We have some repair work to do, Dawson. We've got some deep repair work. My book speaks about how it all starts in the gut. We, the pandemic that we're experiencing underneath COVID, underneath that polarization dynamic that's happening in our culture right now, is the fact that we're addicted so heavily to processed food. And it's destroying our gut, and it's creating an inflammatory process. And that inflammatory process is highly destructive to the heart, to the brain, to the rest of the body. And consequently, 88% of Americans are metabolically unhealthy. 93% have an unhealthy metabolic heart. It saddens me when I, when I really think about that. But that's the data. Can it be fixed? Yes, we can fix that. But it requires a lot of effort, as you know. Some people have a hard time making a lifestyle change. Yeah, it takes changing long-held habits. And also you're embedded in a culture which has these values, is eating this way, is giving you all of these uh, choices. Those are the things that are easy, that are convenient, uh, that you're used to, that are culturally acceptable. And so it really takes swimming against the stream. Yeah, swimming <laughs> against the stream. So, so, so for somebody listening now who hasn't really thought hard about this, some of us obviously have cleaned up our, our, our lifestyle, our act, our water, our, have looked at our nutrition and really began to calibrate it. A lot of the biohackers I know, Dave Asprey, Tony Robbins, people in that whole field are really focused on this and they treat their food as a, as a formula. I mean, they're really focused on, on all the right macronutrients and they're, they're, they're highly focused on that. But say you're not that biohacker. Say you're somebody who's not feeling as good as you, you though you could feel and you don't know where to start. Where is this? What's the very first thing you do to start to interrupt that pattern? I take people into the kitchen because I call the kitchen the new ER. When you have, <laughs> when you have 33% of Americans that don't know how to cook their own food, that are going through drive-through windows for most all of their meals on a weekly basis. So helping, my wife does a lot of nutritional coaching, but mainly how do you handle a kitchen? What do you need to do to get into the kitchen and make simple recipes? And what she would say in answer to that question is the first thing she does is she teaches people how to read the label on the food you're buying in the, in the store. And if you can't understand and can't read or pronounce the words that are on a label, you shouldn't be buying it. And that's the bottom line right there. So it's trying to get smart and savvy about what you're putting in and also how to manage your kitchen. It's stunning that people don't know how to manage their kitchen. And I have to say, if the kitchen is the new ER, that in the model, the medical model that we work with, my wife and I work with Dr. Thomas Rao, Swiss Biological Medicine in Switzerland. And that's where I teach mainly in that medical clinic. And he talks about the need for detoxification. So I am calling the bathroom the new ICU. When you have metabolic ill health, the death 
happens very, very, it's a very difficult dying process of multiple organ failure. You can talk to a lot of physicians about that, and you've got to start detoxifying, detoxifying through enemas. We teach and promote colon hydrotherapy because in the state of Florida here, uh, we're licensed to do that. My wife teaches it all over the world to medical health professions and medical clinics. So the new ER and the new ICU, but I'm calling the heart, the physical heart, the new church, because we have to put our attention there. And I'm focused a lot now on the neurological literature with what's called interoceptive awareness. And interoceptive awareness involves conscious awareness of sensations in the body. And I focus a lot on the sensation of the heart and how just sensing your heartbeat. The research is really clear on this. If you can just feel your heartbeat, you can take your pulse, but if you can begin to learn how to feel your heart and count to 70, that increases empathy. Research is really clear. Just listening to your heartbeat. What's, I mean, what, you don't have to, you know, be praying. And I mean, yes, prayer is helpful, but if you just listen to your heartbeat, that will tell you and it will generate what's called emotional empathy. And you can start having that empathy for yourself because you've got to turn your attention inward to the inside of your body, to your viscera and to your heart. That's the fundamental message. And it's as easy as listening to your heart. Wow, that is a powerful tip. I hadn't heard that or thought of that before. And I know that in some meditation traditions, you do tune to the body and you do tune to different parts of the body and I'm also thinking back to the the, uh, the work of uh, brilliant but now somewhat forgotten psychologist called Les Famey at Princeton in the 1960s and 70s. And he had the, the Princeton Biofeedback Institute. And he found that if people did that interoception, specifically if they just noticed the volume of space inside their body, especially their hands and feet, and his shorthand eventually began to use in his method called open focus meditation, was noticing the space between your eyes. And he found that just doing that one thing would put you automatically into a relaxed alpha brainwave state. It just triggered an alpha state just like that involuntarily. So the ability to do even that limited little bit of interoception was able to trigger significant shifts in brain activity and then various other positive psychological changes as well. That is a, a really powerful insight. We're going to go to a break right now. When we get back, though, I want you to look more at this link between our outer activity, our inner activity, our inner awareness, how that connects with our spirituality, and our outer activities then, like eating and the other choices we make. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after a break. And for more on Michael's work, go to his website, Shea, S-H-E-A, heart, H-E-A-R-T, SheaHeart.com. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. I'm your host, Dawson Church, and each week on the show, I invite you to take a deep dive into practical tools you can use to improve your life. Bring your notebook, bring your journal, bring your device, take notes, and then take action on things you can do to improve your life. There are so many simple little steps you can take, and I bet 
you will end this show with at least 10 of those. <laughs> How's that for a guarantee? 10 or more from the show. And again, go to Michael's website, shayhart.com for more. So this is so interesting that you're taking this perspective because often people have very fragmentary approaches and they're interested in and focused on one thing. So the spiritual people have meditation and maybe reading. The people who are into nutrition are focused on that. The people who are focused on body work really focused on that. And so I often find there are going to be silos of knowledge and people don't really connect all of those together. But it sounds like that's exactly what you're doing. Well, I think the important thing here is the embodiment of the senses. And, and we know that because of cognition and the way that so there's so much thinking that goes on and there's so much polarization in the, in the culture right now, that we're really cut off from our body. So if we're metabolically unhealthy, we're really cut off from our body. And the whole idea is, is just the cardioception, being able to feel your heartbeat. And not only being able to feel your heartbeat, but also what I tell my students is, you know, you're laying in bed at night and you feel your heart. You can feel it really clearly because everything else is quiet. I recommend that you recite a poem or a prayer that you've already memorized non-verbally to the cadence of your heart in order to increase the foundation for that, that meta emotion that you talked about, compassion, because empathy is really the foundation there. And the embodiment of the senses also involves being able to identify what's called visceroception in the research literature. Visceroception has to do with conscious awareness fundamentally of when we're hungry, because you have to identify that as the primary instinct in order to get nutrition to every single mitochondria and every single cell in your body for energy, for you to move, for you to breathe, for everything. And then for the waste products of that process to get back out of the body. And a lot of people don't know when they're hungry. And a lot of people don't know when they're full, satiety, all of which are, you have to become consciously aware of that. Many people, when they get the urge to go to the bathroom to either urinate or defecate, they ignore the signal. And so consequently, we have all this disruption of not honoring body signals within all of that. But more fundamentally, when you are embodying your senses, you have to stop labeling. You know, in meditation, that's the, you've got to stop labeling. I, I'm not labeling what I'm seeing. You're sitting there allowing your sense of vision to just be and not mentally labeling. It's the same with hearing. Stop the labeling and stop the interpreting and just start feeling into your body and your body will guide you to the kitchen or your body will guide you to the bathroom or your body will guide you to the heart and you will find that stillness and you will find a deeper connection. So a lot of, for me, in my daily meditation practice and what I teach is stop the labeling. Let your senses become more embodied and the labeling process builds thoughts, lots of thoughts, and the thoughts build concepts, and then you're into something solid, and and it becomes solid, and then you get into the unhealthiness of that whole constellation um, with that solidness. So let's, again, take this back to the simplest possible level. Say I'm a person who's never given a thought to this. I haven't been tuned to these signals at all, and I don't know when I'm hungry. I'm eating, but I'm thirsty. I may be mistaking thirst for hunger. 
I may not be drinking enough enough water. I may be eating too little water. And so there are all kinds. I may be getting triggered to eat by certain ads, by certain colors, by uh, the the news feed and the ads that pop up on on my phone. So there are all kinds of, of, of things that are controlling that other than that visceroception. Where is the first place to start? Heartbeat. The heartbeat. We are, as Robert Thurman at Columbia said, we are Homo sapiens is the trauma species. We, we all have one trauma to one degree or another. And what uh, one leader in the field said after 9-11, if you want to deal with your stress and trauma, the most primary way, the entrance into that is cardioception. You've got to feel your heartbeat. If your heartbeat, you know, is up to 80, 90, or you're at 100 beats per minute, you've got to then look around and just say, whoa, I need to get it back to 70. What do I need to do? What do I need to do behaviorally within the context of the relationship? What do I need to do internally? Now, for me, when I go into those states, because I have a very complex PTSD as a Vietnam vet, or Vietnam era veteran, so when I go into those states, I get right into coherent breathing. I just sit and I get right into coherent breathing and I let my breath start really modifying the heartbeat until I can get it down. But I'm with people I don't like, well, that's another <laughs> situation, you know, and, or people are stressing me out, you know. Then, but then you, you have choices around that. And the question is, how do you insert space into those uncomfortable places? How do you just insert a sense of relaxation? And it's the mental labeling. It's, it's this ideation and this constant mentation that we have that's interpreting and it's polarizing. It creates all these binary difficulties and all this duality as, as it's called in Buddhism and in the Eastern thoughts. So beautiful, beautiful. Yeah. If, Easier said than done, as you know, because you uh, sound like you're a daily meditator, and so am I. It's constant work. You know, it's constant work. But I start with the heart um, first because that's the pathway in. And the second thing I do is uh, you have to go out to nature. It's all about the natural world and reconnecting with the natural world. And I teach a process called horizon therapy. And it's just... Even if you can look out a window, I mean, I've got windows here, but I, I grow mango trees here in Florida. So I'm out in the, in the woods a lot, out in the woods, I'm out in the trees, but I go to the beach a lot. You can see the horizon anywhere and you're neurologically oriented, your eyes and there's orienting uh, reflexes in the, the joint spaces, the base of the head. And you just open your eyes and you look at the horizon. I got this out of a flight magazine on a flight to Europe one time, believe it or not. It's like horizon therapy, and it works. I just let my attention go out, and all of a sudden, I feel this magnetic attraction as if there's something moving my brain literally towards the horizon and back, and all I'm doing is looking at the horizon. It's that simple, but it means you have to move your body out into nature. And, and use and allow nature to heal you in that way, which it does. Yeah, the studies of the genetic changes that happen in nature are really interesting. And so, uh, like in Japan, there's a practice called forest bathing, where yes. people literally spend extended time in the woods. And so they've done studies of the epigenetics of this, and they find that the forest has an epigenetic effect, that there are literally constellations of genes that will be switched 
that'll be upregulated or downregulated by forest bathing. And then the, the, the cooler, more recent research shows that for urban dwellers, people who live in New York City, and they're near just a tiny half a block square park, if they go and stand in that park and just expose themselves to nature that little bit, that will produce some of the same changes in their body. So it's powerful to do that. And these are things we can do very easily. Can we aware of our heartbeat? Can we aware of the horizon? Spending time in nature. And it doesn't have to be forest bathing for a week in Japan. It can be simply walking out to the end of the next block and standing on the grass in your local park. That's enough to do it. We're going to go to a break right now, but please stay tuned. We'll be back with more from Michael Shea. His website is SheaHeart.com. You're listening to High Energy Health, and we'll be right back. Hello and welcome back to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church, and I love sharing with you on the show every week. I feel as though we get a chance to just sit together, share, have conversations with fascinating people. I'm mentally tuning into all of our listeners and that I'm asking the questions I hope that are coming up in your head as well. And it's a wonderful interactive process. And this can make a huge difference to your health and well-being to immerse yourself in positive ideas and positive media. So please make high energy health a part of your life. Also, please do share it with people in your life. Email them links to episodes you particularly like. I've been amazed by how quickly the podcast is growing, how many more people are listening to the show, and it's just growing week by week. So be someone who shares generously with other people, especially episodes you think might be meaningful to them. Who is it you know who needs to hear about getting into their heart? Who is it you know who's eating that processed food and not feeling very good? Who is it you know who's had that diagnosis? That's a big wake-up call. And they know that they can't continue on this same route. They have to make a life change. It's probably you and several people you know. So please do share their show with other people and let them know that these solutions are available. And again, for more on Michael's work, go to his website, shayheart.com. So, Michael, when does physical adjustment adjustment manipulation come into the picture? When do you know you need something done? Like, for example, acupuncture, chiropractic, osteopathy, craniosacral work. When, when do you know that there's a need for mechanical work like that on the body? Well, when I'm in physical pain, because, you know, I've, I've got, like everybody else, I'm 74. At the age of 74, I've got aches and pains. So I know as a manual therapist, I've been a licensed massage therapist in the state of Florida since 1976. And so I I study orthopedics. So at the level of orthopedics, when I'm in physical pain, I might get a massage. I might get other forms of manual therapy that are available, especially here in Florida, because we have like 36,000 active licenses in the state. So there's a lot of different modalities. If I feel neurological symptoms, let's say I feel headachey or, or like a deeper a stress level, I'll go for craniosacral therapy because that specifically targets, uh, in many cases, the neurological system. And I can calm my, the, my brain down because I've had a tendency for migraines that way. So then I'll also, if I know that I'm constipated, if I haven't had a bowel movement in, in more than a day or two, 
I'll either take an enema or I'll go get uh, colon hydrotherapy, which is also licensed in this state. But that, Dawson, that means that I have an embodied awareness of my body. And yes, I get acupuncture as well because sometimes I feel my energy is off. You know, there's there's a cluster of symptoms that I'm feeling, a dry throat and sometimes a flutter in my heart. And then there's some gastric upset. It's like, well, wait a minute, there's a combination here. Let's see what the acupuncture, you know, can offer. So we also are, are very much involved in acupuncture. So, but I can make those differentiations because I have a sense, you know, at my age and because that's my work of where to go based on what I'm feeling. And I think it's a basic exploration because manual therapy now is very specific everywhere in the United States. I was on the Massage Therapy Body of Knowledge Task Force some years ago, so I'm very familiar with the industry and very familiar with all the complementary therapies that require you to have a massage therapy license, such as craniosacral therapy. But my work now is involved in applying craniosacral therapy to the cardiovascular system. To the cardiovascular system, like in the book of Genesis, I talk about the tree of life. You know, you've got the tree of good and evil. That got us into trouble. But when you really look at the other tree that was there, we know in the mystical Kabbalah that the tree of life has its correlation with the vascular tree. So back to the manual therapy idea is taking all of this into contact with the vascular tree as a connection with one's wholeness and with, with the cosmology and with the universe in general, with a greater spiritual principle that we are saying not only lives in the heart, it flows in the heart and it flows in our blood. It's manifesting whichever tradition you want to use, whether it's Jesus or Taoism, whatever tradition, there's this manifestation of a life force, of a vital spirit that's in the heart and it moves the blood and it moves us towards that, that possibility. And it's a connection to the all, to, to a greater sensibility. And that's what my book is also speaking to. We need to have a greater sense of cosmology. We need to have a sense of our origin with a sense of embryology. But when you study medical anthropology, you see that traditional healing cultures, their healing rituals were oriented around regressing someone to the origin of the universe or regressing someone to the origin of their embryology. So that's why I'm teaching embryology and cosmology, and especially with the tree of life, so that we can begin to connect with our origins as a deeper healing, that the origin, the, the way we were made at the beginning when we were originally whole, as it's said in, in the research literature. And we can retrieve that wholeness because we don't have to regress to that moment. We can live in that moment now, those forces, of origin are in our heart, they're in our body right now, and we can access those if we know how far back they go and we can hold a person in their totality. And that's that's what I teach my students with the manual therapy. Yeah, one of the uh, great phrases in the New Thought Churches is, you are whole, perfect, and complete. So if you go to Unitarianism or Unity or Religious Science or any of those kinds of churches, you'll hear that that phrase, we are whole, perfect, and complete. And the idea is that we we were whole, whole, perfect, and complete, and we, we came in that way. We are inherently now, we don't know it, and we aren't acting that way. And so it's aligning our actions with that reality that's available to us of that 
original potential that we all have always. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, the way I language that as an embryologist is that in the beginning, we were a whole, but we were an undifferentiated whole. And once we come from a single-celled human being, we then develop a differentiated wholeness. And then it gets a little complicated because some of that differentiation involves way too much conceptualization. But we return to that original wholeness and it can knit us back together again because it's pre-existing. It's, it's not separate from us. It's inherent. It's already there. So we have to do these practices, you know, whether it's meditation, prayer, you know, getting into the kitchen, wherever we can apply mindfulness to paying attention to taking care of our body and connecting with these life forces, which are essentially life forces of slowness and stillness. That's all they are. Peace and wisdom, slowness and stillness. That's what I say. It's peace and wisdom, slowness and stillness. They're the same metaphor. That's the way it works. Peace and wisdom, slowness and stillness. I'm struck sometimes by people worried about the pace of change. And they say that technological change is accelerating. Moore's law with knowledge doubling. There was some statistic recently put out by Google that, that the amount of information that there is in the world is now doubling something like every seven hours. And so yeah. there's this exponential pace of change. And that is just the opposite of slowness and stillness can be very disturbing as well to have to adapt to constant change. And of course, evolutionarily, our bodies did not grow up in a world, did not evolve in a world which was full of constant change. I, I think back to my ancestors who were peasants in England in 1700, and their lives looked very much like the lives of peasants in England in 700 or in 700 BC or 7000 BC. Not a whole lot changed in that time, except who the feudal overlord was. And now, of course, we're thrust into a world in which there's this constant change. And yet, if we meditate, if we have this sort of awareness you're talking about, we're in touch with slowness and stillness and what Shankara in Hinduism calls the infinite or the unchanging. And so there's the unchanging. You can always tap into that. And then, sure, there's a little stuff changing. Sure, it's a pace of change that our ancestors never had to cope with. And we have access to this the still point within. And that's always there. And no one can take it away from us. I'm going to go to a break right now, but meditate on slowness and stillness. We'll be right back after a brief moment. And for more on Michael's work, go to his website, Shay heart.com. You're listening to High Energy Health. We'll be right back after a break. Hello and welcome back to High energy health. My name is Dawson Church, and I'm delighted you're here. I'm delighted to be sharing with you. I've been urging you to take notes and really consider these ideas deeply. They can make an enormous difference to your life. Also, if you want to find 30 of those practices that can shift you, evidence-based practices that can shift you and you can often do yourself and make a big difference to your quality of life. We've mentioned a few on the show here already, like acupuncture, like grounding. There are many others, awareness of the breath. So if you want to get a, a whole long list of the possibilities, I have about 30 of them I mentioned in my book, Mind to Matter. That book has sold over 100,000 copies. It's been, I just heard the other day, it's going gangbusters in Germany and France, other parts of the world. So there are lots of people all over the world who are really 
tuned in to the whole idea of mind to matter, but I have 30 evidence-based practices in that book. And you can get a free copy of the book at mindtomatter.com. You pay shipping and handling, but the book itself is free. And you also get at mindtomatter.com, you also get access to a series of meditations that we've shown, again, affects brain anatomy within 30 days. And you really want to do that and give yourself that happier, healthier, and more optimized brain. And again, those meditations are free once you get the book at mindtomatter.com. For more on Michael's work, go to his website, shayhart.com, and there you'll find information about the series of books he's written on biodynamic craniosacral therapy and about his new book. Michael, I'd love to know what contribution that working with that Navajo medicine man made to your awareness. You referred now to the shamans and that they take you back, not just the origins of life and embryology, but back to cosmology, back to the Big Bang, where it all began. So what was the, what was your, what wisdom did you carry away from those encounters? Well, it's, it's, thank you for that question. It was very moving to spend 10 years apprenticing on the Navajo reservation, my wife and I, and to get uh, permission from the tribal council to get the to be able to do the ceremonies and the hands-on healing that that I was learning from John Nelson. So in the indigenous cultures, that's one of the things that got reinforced is that whenever there's a healing, they sing the song of origin. So you know, whenever there's a healing process, for me, it's feeling the the, the points of origin and the movement of the vital forces in the body. So that's one of the things that's focused on you know, within that tradition are the vital forces, but also the vital forces as they exist in nature, because in the indigenous world, in the shamanic world, the divine was the natural world. That's divinity right there. The sacred was the natural world, and the manifestation of the sacred came through the entire natural world. And consequently, the original medical system was shamanically oriented to getting people reconnected to the natural world for healing. So we were talking about forest bathing earlier, and it goes back to, you know, the very way in which self-healing happens in the body. We know how to heal, and that's one of the things I learned. We know how to heal. Our body knows how to heal. Our mind already knows the healing process. And indigenous cultures have processes that I learned that take you back to the natural world. So there's, and we've already talked about that and covered that. And that's a very important point right there. But it's also an earth-based culture. We, we have a culture right now where origin comes from above. But in many indigenous cultures, especially the Navajo, creation comes from below. There's a lot about just being on the earth. And the metaphor I use is sit like a mountain because I learn how to sit like a mountain. It's very Zen, but it's also very Navajo in a meditation practice to feel the earthiness of your body and to not only embody your senses, but to embody the elements, the element of the earth, the elements of the water, the element of the wind, the element of the fire, and the fire in your heart. So learning that it gave me a whole different perspective on the human body. Just instead of this physiology and all the things that I was very familiar with in anatomy, it came down to the elements. Sit like a mountain, be the earth, feel your heaviness, feel that connection because we are that. Feel your breath, that's the wind element. Feel your heart, that's the fire element, the, the potency that drives everything in life and death, especially if you're a Buddhist. It, it, you've got to 
focus on that heart when you're in the dying process. So those are the main things that I learned and the importance of prayer. So not a lot of people, you know, because of their upbringing, you know, they've rejected their, their upbringing in terms of their traditional, whether it's a Christian value or I was talking to a Jewish friend of mine this morning. She's completely rejected her background and that's okay. But some way to have a prayer, whatever that prayer is for you, or maybe it's poetry, something that can, can help you to calm your mind down when you can't do it on your own. You know, you need some help and you have this ability to pray. And I also learned how to use my hands for a hands-on healing ministry. So I learned how to use my hands to bless people because that's my work. So that's a completely different spiritual orientation. So those are the main features that I learned uh, from that indigenous cult, from the Navajo. Powerful. And, you know, we had hands-on healing, we had energy, and we had nature and all these things for thousands of years before we had drugs and surgery and all the things we uh, we looked at today. So when you're able to both have the benefit of modern medicine and then that connection with the earth and that ability to to move into that that space of connection, you really do have it all if you're able to integrate all of these, these factors. So awareness of your body, awareness of diet, awareness of breath, awareness of energy fields, the whole connection with nature and the natural, natural world. And then again, as I mentioned earlier on, sometimes you're going to need that pill or that surgery and we, we can make that as sacred as everything else. It has been such a joy to not just, just share verbally today, but also, Michael, just to share heart to heart and see and feel your beautiful heart and the care and the love you have for people and yourself and the natural world and all those around you. Thank you so much for your for your contribution to the Holy Healing journey and sharing it with the people that you bring it to. Thank you, Dawson, and thank you for your work. I'm very inspired by you and, and what you're saying and what you're doing. So thank you so much for being in the world and your heart. Thank you. Also, just a joy to be part of this whole healing community. I feel so one with that community. When I meditate, I drift up into that awareness of the all it is, and I can feel all the people meditating all over the world right now. And no, we truly are are this enormous community of consciousness. So thank you for sharing that with us today. Come back and share it with us every week. You've been listening to High Energy Health. My name is Dawson Church. I really appreciate that you're here. Be happy, be healthy, be filled with love. Till the next time we get together. Thank you. 